When I was a kid, I heard, obey your parents. Well, I didn't. And look how I turned out. My teachers told me that I is before E except after C. Well, what about, what about neighbor? What about weird and, and geyser? Uh, geysers with a Y. Stupid rules. I'll get it back. I'll get it back. Got my license at 16. You know those speed limits? They're more like guidelines, really. Not even feeling it. Can't feel a thing. Marijuana is good for my glaucoma. I'm a for sissies. My boss is a. Thou shalt not lie. Steal. Kill. Actually, I kind of agree with that one. Covet thy neighbor's wife. Have you seen my neighbor's wife? Daddy like. Rules are just something that those in authority draw up to make slaves of the rest of us. Freedom! <laughs> right? Right? Rules, we talked about that last week, that... Uh, Authority is a big deal, and the way you respond to human authority is a picture of how you will respond to heavenly authority as well. So uh, just like in the video, you can't um, rebel against authority without harming yourself and those around you. Now, today, we're going to look at another twist that Satan throws at us, and it has to do with pain. And I want to know, how many of you have suffered some really significant pain, you or somebody you know in the last year has really gone through some tough stuff. What about in the last five years? Right? I mean, pain, pain affects us all. Pain doesn't care where you live. It doesn't care about your, your um, ethnicity. It doesn't care where you go to church. It doesn't care how much money you have. It doesn't care about anything. Pain does not respect anyone. One of my favorite professors in seminary used to say, suffering drastically reduces our wish list. And what made his statement, what made us pay attention as, as his students was the fact that this guy had gone through more pain in his lifetime than all of his students combined. There were about 50 students in there. He would share stories of pain and suffering and you're going, no way. And this guy was one of the most godly men I've ever met or even heard about in my life. And, and that, that made that statement true. Suffering drastically reduces all those things that I think I want and, and it becomes crystal clear what's important when you go through suffering. I'm reading right now uh, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. I read it years ago. It's been about 20 years since I read it, so I'm going back through it again. And man, C.S. Lewis had a handle on spiritual things. Here's one of my favorite quotes from Lewis. He said, God whispers in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Now think about this. When things are going well, do you pay a whole lot of attention to God? If you're on a prolonged winning streak, do you worry about the little things that are going on in your life? No. If prosperity is just coming your way, everything is just going your way, you know the first thing we do is we neglect God. 
We know that we should be spending more time with God, but, but when, you know, when we're trying to chase the almighty dollar and when, when our kids are in sports and they're doing all of these other things, somehow spiritual stuff gets shoved to the side. We know we should be more spiritual, but we just don't pay attention. We just don't have time. And so some bad stuff happens, and what do we do? <laughs> we fall on our knees. If we're a Christ follower, we're, we fall on our knees and start calling out to God. We get on Facebook, and we start asking all of our friends for prayers. I see this all the time. Please pray, please pray. We call our friends that we believe are praying people. We ask them to pray for us. We look up to God and we ask for his mercy and his grace. And I'm not condemning that at all. The Bible says we're supposed to call out to God in times of trouble. I'm merely pointing out that when the bad stuff hits, all of us are much more in tune to spiritual things than when good stuff is happening. Right? Everybody agree with that premise? When, when really bad stuff happens, I don't care if you're an atheist. I don't care if you're a baby Christian. I don't care if you're a fully devoted follower of Christ. At some point... If it's really, really bad, you're going to look to the heavens and you're going to ask why. You're going to say, why is this happening? Because we want to make sense of things. And if we can discover the why, we, we believe this as humans. If we can discover the why, then we can endure the pain. It doesn't make the pain go away, but it means that we can endure it knowing that there's some reason, something to make sense of why it happened. If we can do A happened and then B happened, oh, and that equals C, it doesn't take the pain away, but at least it allows me to endure the pain and make it through. And so we want to know why. We ask, why God? Why her? She's so young. Why him? God, he's, he's got this family. Why would you let something happen to him? Or why me, God? And then, then we start to look at ourselves and we go, did I do something to cause this to happen? God, what's going on in the universe? Is it karma? And let me just stop and say, it's not karma. It's not karma. The, the universe is not trying to get even with you. That's ludicrous and it's not biblical. But we want to know why because we think if we can figure out why, then we can endure it. So if dad gets sick and, and maybe a doctor uh, comes to know Christ, he's like, okay, we didn't want dad to get sick, but you know, if we're looking at eternal things and, and the doctor comes to know Christ, he's saying, oh, okay, maybe I, can, maybe I can endure because maybe that's the reason why bad stuff happened and dad got sick. Or, or maybe if this happens and this happens. And what I want you to realize today is that it's bigger than that. The answer is bigger. Did you do something to cause it? Well, maybe, but even if you did something to cause it, there's a bigger picture that we're going to be looking at. God may be shouting at me in my pain, but if, if something happens and it's random and it doesn't make sense to me, I may shout right back at God and my faith may go out the window because I don't understand, God, how can, you, how can a good God let me suffer? Now, here's the interesting thing about humans. We will choose what I call elective pain. There are times we choose, we elect pain if we believe that the payoff on the other side is worth it for example going to haiti um i worked out for several months going to haiti because i knew we we're going to be slinging buckets i wanted to be in shape and i was in much better shape this year than i was last year and so i knew i was going to suffer some pain in the beginning but it was going to be worth it now when i got back from haiti i got sick and for a week i couldn't do jack and so it's been three weeks since i was in the gym and tomorrow I'm going. I've drawn a line in the sand. I'm going tomorrow. And I'm going to be sore on Wednesday and Thursday. But I, I think, okay, the pain is going to be worth it. Because my wife likes my arms to be toned. So I'll go through the pain. Because it's worth it. 
right? But okay, I'm not, I'm not the only one. How many of you in here, and this is our church, by the way, how many of you in here, not counting your ears, have multiple body piercings? Not counting two ears, multiple body piercings. Some of you are like, I am not admitting that in church. That's okay. It's okay. You're amongst, we, we love you. Okay, how many of you have more than one tattoo? Okay, now, see, I don't have anything against piercings or tattoos, body art per se, It's just personally, I am not going through the pain. Because y'all remember when we did that thing where we jumped in the swimming pool, me and James and and Drew and James went in first and then James gets out and he goes, it's not that bad. He lied. (laughs) I almost passed out. It was so cold. My family was standing there thinking Caleb thought I was about to have a a heart attack because I'm going... I can't get my breath. He lied about the pain because sometimes I'll see unique body piercings and and I'll go. That hurt, didn't it? And they'll lie. It wasn't that bad because I'm thinking if somebody drives a piece of metal through that part of your body, whether it's your nipples or your tongue or whatever it is, I'm sorry. That's got to hurt. I've watched when cows are branded. You know, when they take those red hot things and they stick it on there to mark that cow, the cow says, ow. And I think that that body art, body piercing, not piercing, but body art. I think it's the same thing because it's just branding you. Don't you tell me it doesn't hurt. I do not believe you. So I'm not willing to go through that pain. If you are more power to you, just don't lie about it. We will choose to go through pain if we think that something good is on the other side, right? How else do you explain this guy? Real. Even down at the bottom, it says coolopticalillusions.com. He had that tattooed on his body. This is where I got the picture was off coolopticalillusions.com. They, they were so impressed that this dude put it on their body that they put it on their website. How would you like to come across this dude? Whichever direction he's facing. Dark alley. I'm walking down there and I'm going, holy cow. This guy thought something was worth going through all of the sessions. Because you know it had to be multiple branding sessions. He thought it was worth it. And he doesn't even get to see it. It's on his back. I do not understand that. I, I mean, okay, cool. You know, I'll be friends with the guy. That's all right. But I am not doing it because I don't see the benefit. Now, <laughs> it makes perfect sense that when we have pain come into our lives, we begin to ask some questions. We want, we want to, to figure out what's going on, especially if we think it's random. We want to try to put the dots together. So we look up to God and we go, God, this is bigger than us and we don't understand. We need some help. And when God is silent, we as humans begin to look at ourselves and we're going, did I do this? And this is a normal reaction to pain. This is normal human reaction. If God's not going to tell me, we start making up reasons for why pain is coming into our lives. And I want you to know this is so normal that even Jesus Christ, who predicted his death on multiple occasions before he went to the cross. Do you remember in the midst of this, this, we looked at it last Easter when we looked at all the things he said on the cross. One of the things he said in the middle of his pain, he looked up and he said, my God, my God, why have you abandoned, forsaken is one translation, abandoned me. And we know the whole story that God had not abandoned Jesus Christ. But in the middle of his pain, it sure felt like God had. And so he looks up and he goes, God, I 
know you have purpose, but in the middle of my pain, it hurts so bad that I can't see the purpose. Where are you, God? You ever been in that situation? We want to make sense of what's going on. You remember when, when Lazarus, who was a very good friend of Jesus, Lazarus gets sick. And, and when Jesus finds out that he's sick, he says, let's hang out here a couple of days and then we'll go see him. Because it wasn't very far. It was easy to walk in just a couple of hours from where Jesus was to where Lazarus was. Jesus had healed people, we know, from at least a distance of 38 miles in one point. So he could have easily healed Lazarus. But he hung out there. And so Lazarus dies while Jesus is hanging out there. And as he goes to Bethany... First Mary, Lazarus' sister, and then Martha come running out to Jesus and they fall at Jesus' feet and they say, Jesus, you could have done something, but you didn't. Why? Because it just didn't make sense. And Jesus finally explains to them there's a bigger picture. Now, here's, here's what I need you to hear today. If in the middle of your pain, God shouts at you through pain, in the middle of your pain, you cry out to God and you go, God, Why? And then if you look from God back to your circumstances, your little bitty life, and you say, what's going on in here? The answer is not in your little bitty circumstances. The answer is much, much bigger than you. Because can, can you imagine? God wrote this Bible, and the Bible is applicable no matter when you live, no matter what time period you live. The principles to pain are in here. Can you imagine what God would have had to do if he had to customize the answers for every situation we face? You know how many Bibles we would have? And then which one would we follow? God says, no, there's a bigger principle and I'm going to lay it out in Scripture and I'm going to show you the context for the pain, but it's bigger than you are. So the Bible gives us three really big dots to connect that will give context to every bit of pain you'll ever face in your life. Does that sound kind of cool? It won't make the pain go away but it will help you last through the pain. 2,000 years ago, God gave us three big dots. Now, first, before I give you these dots, I got to give you two disclaimers. Number one, you know when you were a kid and you would be outside playing and you'd fall and you'd scrape your knee or you'd scrape your elbow or something and it hurt and you're screaming and you go running in, you find mom or dad and you get up in their lap and mom and dad, you remember what they do? My parents always did this. They would kiss the boo-boo. And as a kid, I thought, that doesn't help at all, right? You know, but somehow, even, even though my parents would do that and they'd say, is that better? I'd go, yeah. Somehow as a kid, I knew it was better to hurt in mom and dad's lap than it was to hurt alone. Somehow I knew that, right? You understand the principle? Holding your kids when they hurt, somehow it's better having someone to hurt with you. We understood that. Well, the answer I'm going to give you today is very much like that. It's not going to make the pain go away, but it is so much better to go through pain with a loving heavenly father than it is to go through pain alone. Which brings me to my second disclaimer. If you're not a Christ follower, today's message is all, all for Christians, because if you're not a Christ follower, I have nothing for you when it comes to pain. Because the Bible doesn't give you any promises. The answers, the dots that I'm going to show you today are for Christ followers. And honestly, I don't know how, if you're not a Christ follower, I don't know how you how you deal with the random pain issues in life because without Christ, all pain is random. Without Christ, everything is, is confusing. It does not make sense. But if you're a Christ follower, the Bible says, even your pain can be used for your good and for God's glory. That's pretty big. Well, let's, uh, let's look at some of these issues. 
My dots versus God's dots. God's dots are so much bigger. So if you have your Bibles, I want to look at this. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 8. And we're going to start in verse 18. If you have your uh, smartphones, you can look. Um, if you have a Bible app, pull that up. If not, we're going to put all of it up here. I put a couple of verses on your, your listening guide. But there are so many verses that we're going to go through today that we're going to be flying through some stuff. Now, let me give you three big dots. I'm going to give you all three of them right now. And then we're going to spend the rest of the time trying to connect these dots. In the beginning, it's your first dot. In the meantime, in the end. Three big dots. In the beginning, in the meantime, in the end. We're going to look at these huge dots and figure out how they apply to us right now. Now, if you were here last week, you remember that we were looking at Romans chapter 13, and we said that Paul, the guy who wrote Romans, he was writing to Christians in Rome, and there weren't many Christians in Rome because that was a bad place to be. Nero didn't like Christians. He persecuted Christians. Remember, he burned some of them at the stake. He used some of them as human torches to light up his his uh, gardens and his pathways. This dude was a bad dude, and he did not like Christians. So that was in chapter 13. We're going to move back to chapter 8 today, and Paul is going to talk about suffering in chapter 8. Now, the thing that makes this very interesting is Paul knows a thing or two about suffering. Paul has been beaten multiple times. He's been shipwrecked. One time he spent a a full night and day in the ocean floating around wondering if anybody was going to come and find them. He'd been stoned with rocks and left for dead. He had lost everything. He was constantly chased, constantly harassed. And the crazy thing is, Paul chose this lifestyle. He chose following Christ, knowing that all of this stuff was going to happen. And he chose it anyway because he knew in the end it was going to be worth it. Now, verse 18. I consider that what we suffer at this present time cannot be compared at all with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. The present time, that's now. That's the meantime, right now. Paul pulls us out of our circumstances and he says... There's something in the future, in the end, that is much bigger than what you're seeing now. And, and if you knew what is going to happen at the end, you w- and, and when you get there, if you're a Christ follower, you're going to get there and you're going to look at the glory of heaven. You're going to look at the incredible blessings we have from God and you're going to go, wow, Paul was right. This is so much better than that. This was worth it what jesus talked about it's what paul talked about and this principle that's wired up in us is we can endure pain if we know that it's going to be worth it and the bible says on the other side it's going to be worth it paul pulls us out of now and says in the end it's going to be better verse 19 the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of god to be revealed the future is so big, so exciting that even creation can't wait for everything to be made right. And part of what's going to be made right is Christians are going to get new bodies. But wait, I'm getting ahead of myself because Paul, all of a sudden, he's talking about the end. He's talking about the future and he stops right there in the middle. And he takes us from the end all the way back to the beginning. And he shows us three big dots. Verse 20. For the creation was subjected to frustration. This frustration word, you've got to understand this word. It means perversion. Creation was perverted by something, or it means depravity. Creation is now depraved because of something. Look what it says. Not by its own choice, for creation was subjected to frustration. It was perverted. It was was depraved. Not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. 
when God finished creation, we read in Genesis, it was a very good creation. Not just good, it was very good. But something happened in the beginning that perverted all of that, that made it a depraved world. You know what it was? Any guesses? Adam, but what did he do? He sinned. There was this perfect utopia in the garden. And Adam chose to sin. And when sin entered the world, suffering and death and pain and misery, all of that trash came with it. Creation didn't choose the past. Adam did. And when, Satan, when sin came into the world, God then chose to, um, he chose to judge the whole world. And some of you are going, but I wasn't even there. You're right. Doesn't matter. God takes sin so seriously. We don't, but God does. That he judged the entire creation. And he said, we will bear the consequences of sin until the end. Sin has run rampant ever since. And God judged the whole world because of sin. Now the end of verse 20 and continuing into verse 21. In hope that the creation itself will be, there we go back to the future, liberated from its bondage to decay. That's a big one. Did I put that on your listening guide, that part? Is that yes or no? Okay. Well, write down bondage to decay because you need to remember this one. Y'all are always taking little things and twi- Well, you can use this one. Liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Sin has messed things up, will continue to mess things up until the end. So right now, we are, everything is in bondage to decay. You get up in the morning and your back hurts. You know why? Because you are decaying. You are in bondage to decay. Have you ever watched Wes on a cold morning walking? His knees are bad. Wes is, I just use him all the time. Wes is in bondage to decay. Have you ever just gotten up and gone, oh, you're in bondage. And we're all in bondage to decay. And if you're thinking, oh, well, I'm not, you will be. Because things don't get better with age. I'm sorry, they don't. Right? Sorry, evolutionists. Things do not magically get better over time. Second law of thermodynamics says that things tend to decay. It's because they're in bondage to decay. That's what the Bible says. Things don't get better, they get worse. So the big dot, first big dot is sin entered the world in the beginning and changed everything. And since that time, everything has been in bondage to decay. Well, what did I do to cause this pain in my life? You were born. I mean, yes, sometimes, sometimes, you know, we choose to do things, but there's other times people choose to do things and it's because of sin. Some, you can be hurt even when you're not sinning. The big dot is sin messed things up. Dot number two. In the meantime, now, look at verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. So sin entered the world and the world's been broken. Now, It's not just that something in your world broke and you're suffering pain. It's that everything in the world up until this time has been broken before you were even born. What happened to you is simply what happens to everyone else in a broken world. It's why plans go wrong. You plan this. I plan to get married. Janie had this big plan for us to to get married. It's a good thing I didn't know because I ran from that. But she was very patient. And I didn't learn her plan until after I said I do. And I was like, oh, man, you're sneaky. You have this plan, but something else happens. You plan to get married. You plan to have children. It didn't happen. You plan to do this, and it doesn't happen. Sin messes things up. Ever since it's come into the world, there's this downward spiral, and none of us are exempt from the effects of sin. 
Dot one, in the beginning, sin entered the world, messed things up. It's been jacked up ever since. Dot two, in the meantime, we will feel the effects of sin. That's just reality. And all of creation has been groaning. This is the first groan. All of creation is groaning like a woman in the pains of childbirth. I remember all three of our kids being born. I was in there. And I remember the strain that Janie was under. And I remember, thank you, Jesus, that I'm not a woman. No, I'm kidding. But I remember holding her hand and the first time I coached her through, did all the Lamaze breathing, you know, all that trash. Second time, she just totally ignored me. She's like, I got to get through this, you know. And then when Hannah came along, man, she just, I remember veins popping out. And, and really, the nurses were worried. They're like, breathe, Janie, breathe. And she wasn't. She's like, I am getting through this because I remember the pains. But every time one of those kids came out, we were so in love with that child. And, and now, you know, our kids are 16, 14, and, and 11. And, and I, I feel confident she would go through the pain again, knowing the blessing that those kids have been to us. That's what creation is like. Creation is saying, oh, there's going to be a day when everything's going to be made right. Creation gets liberated from its bondage, but it's not just creation. Look at verse 23. And we believe we believers also groan. There's the second groaning. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of the future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. Anybody want a better body than what you got? We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children. Including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. When you became a Christ follower, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of you. Now, for some of you, when you came to Christ, it was this huge, massive life change event. Your language changed. If you did drugs and alcohol, that went out the window. You stopped going certain places. Everybody noticed because you were different and people were like, what has gotten into you? Well, it's the Holy Spirit. It's what gotten into you. But people noticed. Others of you, when you came to Christ, there were certain things you were immediately delivered from and other things that you've been struggling with ever since. Maybe you were delivered from alcohol, but you're still struggling with drugs. Or maybe you're delivered from this and you're still struggling with this. And you just, all the time you're struggling. But God's Holy Spirit came inside of you. Now, for some of you, there was absolutely no change whatsoever. And people are like going, dude, I don't think it took. I think maybe you should pray that prayer again or something because nothing's happened, right? Okay. Here's the deal. If God's Holy Spirit takes up residence in you, the Bible says the Holy Spirit is a down payment. You know what you do with a down payment? Down payment is a promise that I'm going to come back and I'm going to get the rest of it. The Holy Spirit is a down payment on everything God has said He's going to do for you. He's a down payment on what is yet to come. God made the down payment, which saves your soul, but it doesn't do anything for your body. When, when God sent Jesus to die on the cross, He did that so that I could spiritually have a new heart, but He didn't do anything for my body. We don't get a new body. Not yet, and not in this world. We feel the pain of this world because the world is under a curse. 
But we hope because this world is not all there is. So in light of the past, sin entering in the beginning. In the meantime, I have hope because this world isn't all there is. We don't lose hope because God never promised us that we're going to have eternal bliss and everything we wanted in this life. He never said that. In fact, Jesus said, you're going to have trouble because you follow me. When sin entered the world, it set me up for a struggle. It set you up for a struggle. It set everyone up for a struggle. So humanity suffers pain. And the Bible says in the future is when everything's going to be made right. So, you know, quite honestly, the Holy Spirit doesn't do a whole lot to relieve physical pain and suffering. Hang on your question just a second. Verse 26. Now, what does the Holy Spirit does? The Holy Spirit, what does he do? The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Anybody ever felt weak? Have you known anybody who's felt weak? For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. God knows I'm weak. He knows that you are weak. So some of you are saying, well, um, I'm, I'm, I'm mad about the situation in life. Well, that's normal. The Bible says that it's normal for us to be weak. Well, I'm depressed. Did you know that's actually normal? For you to feel depressed sometimes, it's normal. Well, um, I'm hurt. I'm angry. All of those things are normal because you live in a decaying world with a decaying body. Pain is just part of the process. But you don't fall for the lie that this life is all there is. God says in those times when you're so overwhelmed that you don't even know what to pray for, God says, guess what I'm doing? What's he doing? That passage says he's praying for you. When you, when you, I don't know if you've been there, but I've been there. When I'm on my knees and I just, I'm hurting so bad that I don't know what to say. The Bible says that's when the Holy Spirit is praying for you. Go ahead, guess. I'm praying for you. I know it's bad. I know it hurts. But there's something in the future so amazing that you could not even comprehend it if I showed you right now. So God says, what I'm doing is I'm praying for you while you're hurting and longing for the day that I can reveal to you what is yet to come? When you get to experience that, it will be worth it. Now, with all of that as background, let me read to you the rest of chapter 8, starting at verse 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purposes for them. For God knew His people in advance, and He chose them to become like His Son, so that His Son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean you're going to have to go faster does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? I don't have it on mine, so I'm reading off of there. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. 
No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I decided this morning to to add those other verses. Why I didn't have them on my sheet. God works in life. He works in death. He works when your dreams are trashed. He works when someone you love dies. He works when you're in over your head. Your individual circumstances are not the whole picture. So... It's not about me. Have you been listening? It's bigger than you. The cross is God's once for all declaration that he cares about you. He's saying there's purpose and a reason and I'm in control. In the meantime, I am with you. Now, could God end all pain and suffering? That's not a rhetorical question. Could God end all pain and suffering? Yes, he could. We know that Jesus actually healed a bunch of people when he was on the earth. He didn't heal everybody. He healed a bunch of people. We know that he raised some people from the dead. And then it was almost like Jesus saying, okay, now you know I've got the power. But really, all that's for the future. In the meantime, you need to know that I am with you and I am all you need. God never pulls any punches when it comes to sin. He will allow the full consequences of your sin, of others' sin... To run its course in the world. But there will be a time in the future when all things are made right. Until then, you need to remember his name, Emmanuel. Christmas is about Emmanuel, God with us. I want you just to think about, just kind of let all of this marinate as you listen to the song, Mercy Me song, God with us. And you just kind of read through and, and watch this. got to remember that that feeling we had as children that we instinctively knew it was better to hurt in our parents lap than it was to hurt alone that's what god wants you to remember is he he loved you so much that he sent jesus to put on flesh and bones and become a human so that you'd know that there's nothing you will ever face that doesn't have purpose and meaning in the long run. So get out of your little bitty circumstances. Because they seem really big to you. But in the scheme of eternity, your circumstances are very, very small. If you need to be reminded of that, go out tonight and just sit outside and look at the stars and realize how insignificant we are in the scheme of things. Yet in the midst of all that, God sent Jesus for you. If you'd have been the only one, He would have come for you. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? I want you just to tell God. Either your situation that you've been thinking about this whole time I've been talking or somebody that's very close to you who's really going through a tough time that you've been thinking about this whole time I've been talking. I want you just to spend a couple of moments telling God what's on your heart. Father, your enemy is also our enemy. And when we try to oppose him in our power, we are defeated. So today we call upon you, God, to hear our prayers. Not only are we struggling, but we know a lot of people who are struggling who need to be reminded that you're still in control. No matter what it looks like, you are still in control. And there will be a day when everything is made right. We long for that day. And we'll keep declaring your power and your mercy and your grace until that day comes.
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.